Mark the ninth chapter, verses two through nine. The word of God says this. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. May God bless the reading of his holy word. To some of y'all, I'm young, and uh, to others, I'm old, and either way, that's fine. I I don't care. But there are some things that whether I'm young or old, I can tell you I picked up in life. I consider these things to be part of of life's wisdom. Uh, I don't know about Tate County. I grew up in Scott County, and Scott County is not the book-learning capital of the world. I can assure you of that. But the one thing Scott County has in abundance, whether while it's not good grammar and it's not book learning, they have an overabundance of common sense. And I believe that they, they, they take it as their life's mission to make sure that the kids that they raise have that same amount of common sense. And since I don't know about Tate County, because I didn't grow up here, I thought I might impart upon you some of my Scott County wisdom this morning. Some of those things that I learned growing up that go along with our lesson on transfiguration. You had to learn it by observation because in Scott County, maybe not in Tate County, but in Scott County, people would take advantage of you if you didn't grasp these things pretty early. And those bits of wisdom... Those little nuggets of knowledge I like to call principles. And today I want to teach you about the principles of being hustled. Because in Scott County, that was what they tried to do. They would try to take advantage of you. They would take what you were and try to, try to manipulate you to their benefit, some folk. And if you didn't learn early enough, you would be a mark. You'd be somebody that somebody could take advantage of. I'm here to tell you that the world has mastered the principles of hustling others. They have mastered the principles of deceiving you. They just are. Our Lord wants to develop us into wise and faithful followers. He wants us to be able to identify those things that try to take advantage of us and deviate us from His plan. And once we see them and know what they are, maybe we stand a chance to be God followers in the midst of a world that doesn't care anything about God. 
And in addition to that, we live in a world that doesn't care anything about you. So how do we make sure that we don't get hustled by this deceitful and sinful world? How do we make sure that we don't fall under one of these categories of easily hustled folks? So I thought I'd lay out for you the principles of being hustled. You may have different ones. Tate County may have taught you different ones. These are Scott County principles that I'm about to give you today. And they follow along with our text in Mark. Because Jesus counteracts them with this transfiguration event. With this transfiguration moment, he counteracts these principles of being hustled. Let's run them down in the light of the gospel. Principle number one of being hustled is get folks at their weakest. The easiest folk to take advantage of are the folks that are tired. The folks that, are, that, that feel beaten down. And if there's one thing I hear more than any other as a pastor, as I'm visiting with you, as I'm walking down the Grand Hall, as I'm sitting in the Fellowship Hall, as I see you on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings, is, friends, you look tired. Some of you look real tired. I'm not going to name any names. You need some concealer under your eyes or something. But you look worn out. And every time I see your hair looks more disheveled and you just look frazzled and, and your children, you snap at them like they're the devil incarnate. I don't know what to tell you. And every time I ask you something, you go, preacher, I'm just running from can to can. I am tired. The funny part is to me, Pat, is that folks act like this is a new development. God started this creation. And after six days, you know what God said? I'm tired. So what do you do? Rest. Because he knows that when you're tired, you'll fall for anything. So when you look at me and you tell me I'm tired, preacher, here's what I'm going to tell you. Remember the Sabbath and keep it whole. The Lord didn't tell us about the Sabbath just as a passing phenomenon. He told us we needed rest and recuperation. We can't go wide open all the time. Or else we end up sleepwalking through this life. We end up worn out and burned out. When I, when I, when I go, I, I've never bought a new car in my life. Any of y'all always buy used cars? I'm one of those people. You know what I want to know when I buy a used car? Did a teenager drive it? That's what I want to know. And when I was in the Delta, I always asked, did a farmer drive it? I always wanted those two things. And if, they, and if the answer to that question is yes, I don't want it. You want to know why? Because when a teenager drives, sometimes it's kind of like Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Have y'all seen that, that scene where they get the Ferrari? What do they do? They run it wide open. And while cars are meant to be ran wide open sometimes, every once in a while, you've got to drive a mosium along, right? Your body and your spirit don't need to be driven like a teenager drives a car. You gotta let it rest. Because principle number one of being hustled is that you get taken advantage of at your weakest moments, when you're tired. Maybe that's why it says after six days, Jesus took his disciples, the, the hard-working ones, Peter and James and John, he took them up on a high mountain for rest. He wanted them to recover. Our God requires hard work. He doesn't want lazy followers. He wants everybody to contribute. 
but he also knows that you need to recover. The ineffectiveness and bent toward destruction are part of the Christian walk because we never slow down. But he tells us, take the Sabbath day because if not, you'll fall right into the second principle of being hustled, which is find their vulnerability. You find what somebody's weakest at. You find their vulnerability and you use it against them. The great problem with that is everybody's got a vulnerability. Everybody's got a weakness. Somebody tells me, well, Jesus didn't have any weaknesses. And I would tell you, he didn't act on any weaknesses, but he was fully human. And if he's fully human, he has temptation like the rest of us. What was Jesus's weakness? What is it that the devil tried to use against him? What is it that the world tried to hustle him with? They tried to tell him that he could follow God's will without being in God's will. You can save the world without going to the cross. You can save the world in an easy fashion. And every time Jesus was confronted with that, he cast it out. Not because he found it easy to deviate. Not because he found it easy to deviate from that temptation, but because he knew if he was tempted by it, he needed to cast it as far as the east is from the west. Whatever your vulnerability is, whatever it is, you've got to learn to live within it and give it over to God so that he can make you better for it. The big problem with vulnerability is that when we mess up, we oftentimes want to give up. We don't find ourselves worthy. We find ourselves as inadequate. And when we're inadequate, we want to just say, enough is enough. I'm never going to do this again. I find that to be the case a lot with folks. They think they're too broken or too too weak to follow after God. But most of the time, those who are the weakest glorify God the most because they hand their weakness over to Him. The disciples have lots of weaknesses, but God called them anyway. So don't feel like your thing is too bad. When you fall off of the proverbial wagon, God says, get right back on. Because the longer you stay off, the worse it is. In, um, in our bulletin this morning, if you'll look at it, I usually catch, I usually read it for, um, for mistakes. And I don't always catch some, and I wish I had not caught this mistake earlier because it goes right into the sermon. Glenda had typed the first hymn, not the call to worship, but the first hymn. What was it? Come Christians, join to sing. You know what she typed? Come Christians, join to sin. You know what I think? I think that's most of us, right? We'd had a bigger crowd if I'd had come Christians, join to sin. We liked that part. We want to do that. Just show me where that sin is. I'm on board. I'm gonna, and while y'all look depressed when you sing most of the time, if it had been that, y'all would have been like, come, Christians, join to sin. Hallelujah. Right? That's what we'd have done. But God says, no more sin, no more vulnerability. Find it, cast it out, because the devil will use it against you. The third principle of being hustled is that you manipulate their history. You manipulate the history. You make them believe that they're not who God said they were. God tells us through Scripture what? That we are fearfully and wonderfully made. That we were bought with a price, paid by the blood of the Son. 
that we are made and created to glorify Him, and there is no sin that can separate us from that great love. Neither height nor depth nor anything in all creation can separate us. That we're not the only people who have ever believed in God, but we stand in a long line of faithful folks. We stand on the shoulders of faithful saints who have gone before. Maybe that's why when the disciples go on the mountain, what does Jesus do? He shows them their history. Here's Elijah, and here's Moses. And now here's me, and here's you. We are part of this great connection that has done these great things. Don't let the world and don't let Satan lie to you and tell you that you are not in this history, that you are not worthy. In my family, there were two voices. There was my father who kept me in line. My father scared me to death. He's 6'3 and 300-something pounds, and I was always, I, I, like, I, I wasn't always this big, giant man you see in front of you today. <laughs> At one point, I was small and, and frail, and, and, and he scared me, and he, would, he kept me in line. He kept me from being lazy, and, and he made sure I did what I wanted, what I, what I, not what I wanted to do, what he wanted me to do. He would, he would correct me and rebuke me. My mother was the good cop. She told me how much she loved me, how handsome I was. I know she's a truth teller to the very end. She would tell me how talented I was and how gifted I was. That's what mamas do, right, for the most part? Now, I know you're going to find this hard to believe, but sometimes church work is hard. Not here. At other places I've been, church work is hard. People fuss, and, 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 and they're, they're mean to you. And there are times when you want to quit. Maybe you felt that in Sunday school or at your job, and, and you want to quit. And, and I think to myself, I'll go fall back on my undergraduate degree, which is education. And then I thought, no, that doesn't sound any better. They're mean to those folk, too. And I think, maybe I can get me a technology job, right, and just stare at computers all day. I love that. I would be in heaven. I could, I could, they could even give me a small closet to work in. I could do that. And then you know what I hear? I hear my mother's voice in the back of my head going, you're wonderful. You can do it. Don't let them get to you. Don't believe it. You are my son. You can do it. And I keep going. All because that historical voice in my head was planted there long ago. And nothing can change. And then God's call comes forward and nothing can change it. Friends, the devil will try to take that voice and mute it for you. I don't know who it was for you, whether it was a person or whether it was God himself, but God has whispered into you through your history that you are wonderfully made, that you can contribute so much. Don't let the devil manipulate your history. Don't let the world manipulate your history. Know who you are and whose you are and what you can do. That's why Elijah and Moses stand to show the disciples that it all goes back, that God has been planning the redemption of the world since before the fall. Principle number three is you manipulate their history. Principle number four is you distract. You take their eyes off the prize. You make them look here when they should be looking here. Just like in a card game, you make them look away. Manipulation involves making the fake look real and diverting the eyes. It's a bait and switch. In other words, we fall in love with the glow 
and the clouds instead of the Savior. We see the smoke, we see the glow, we think that's the show, but the show is Jesus who's in front of us. I have folks all the time tell me, I got to find a church where I can worship. I'm just, you know, I'm just not being fed. And you know what I tell them? God's there. Whether you're being fed or not, it's up to you. God wants you to know that it's not about the style of music. It's not about the hymn selection. It's not about, it's not about what you read. It's not about this. It's whether your heart is focusing on Jesus. Because if your heart is focusing on Jesus, you can worship with guitars. You can worship with organs. You can worship in the stillness of your house. It's not about smoke and it's not about glow. It's about the Savior who stands in your midst. Don't let the world distract you. I do it with my children all the time. With Asher, he's three. If he wants something I don't want him to have, you know what I do? I change the subject because he'll forget what we've talked about. <laughs> and sometimes we do that. God says, I want you doing this. I want you going in this direction. The world goes, look at this shiny thing. We go, what? And we wander off. And God has to go, look over here. Pay attention. See what I'm doing. But the most damaging principle in my experience of following after Christ, the most damaging principle as I read Mark's gospel is that you give them, give the folks you're trying to hustle overconfidence in their ability and you keep them where they are. If I'm trying to hustle you in a game, what I want to do is I want you to think you can win. Think about the fair, right? I want, to think, I want you to think you can win and I want to keep you there as long as possible. When the disciples go up on the mountain, what do they do? They see the glory of God shining around them. They are recharged for the ministry that they've got to do. And what do they say to Jesus? Hey, Jesus, let's stay here. And Jesus says to the disciples, I didn't bring you on the mountain to stay here. I brought you on the mountain to recharge you so that you can go out and do what I need you to do. I brought you on the mountain so that you can follow me to the cross and you can proclaim the mystery of faith. That Christ has died and Christ is risen and Christ will come again. I need disciples who don't want to stay on the mountain all the time. Who don't want to just be in worship all the time. Who want to go out and live their life. N.T. Wright said this, and I think it pretty much summarizes what Jesus wants us to do. The Bible is not about the rescue of humans from the world, but about the rescue of humans for the world. Jesus didn't save us for our benefit alone. He saved us so that we could benefit the world that tries to deceive us. So the lessons of transfiguration teach us to find the authentic in an inauthentic world. To see what's real and what's not. So that we're not a mark and not get hustled by the falsehoods that float around us. And if we're going to do that, the way we counteract these hustling principles is we avoid burnout by getting rest. We go to the mountain so that we can eventually get off the mountain. We know our story. We know our limitations. And then we get off and go. 
If we stay in the comfortable place too long, the manipulator makes us ineffective. And we cease, cease to be where the action is. The church has received power. We have seen the glory of God in our midst. The church has been given a rich history. The church has been transfigured along with Christ. But the problem is the church has stayed. May we be a church in a place that gets off the mountain and moves towards the difficult places to truly change a world in need. The altar's open. Maybe you've got some burden from the week or the month. Maybe you've got somebody on your heart that you want to pray for. Maybe you want to pray for yourself. Maybe you want to ask, Lord, I've been deceived by this world too long. Open my eyes that I can see the truth. Give me that voice so that this voice is a falsehood. Don't overwhelm yours. Speak, Lord, in my midst. Maybe you've never received Christ, and today's the day that you want to do that. Well, me and Pat will be ready to pray over you. We'll pray silently over you. If you need more than that, just let us know. We'd be glad to pray specifically for you. But let's be in prayer, whether at your seats or up here. Let's stand and sing our closing hymn this morning.
God leads you into a world that's so dead.